And now, it's First and Goal with your host, Big Bear and the Curtain Guy. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of First and Goal. We are your beautiful hosts. I'm Big Bear T. Tyler Bansky. I'm the curtain guy, Cole Shooty. And we have Showtime Steve here with us for the entire episode this week. Uh, we're going to recap the week that was the beautiful snow-filled rivalry week, and we're going to preview. We have a couple of big conference championship games coming up this weekend. So... Uh, I think it's only fair we dive right into the game. Um, we recap what we watched on Saturday. And um, I've got a couple of not-so-happy co-hosts here today. But we'll, let's let's talk about Michigan and Ohio State. Yeah. Um, obviously, Steve and I will be eating a lot of crow. Uh, it, you know, we both didn't pick the Buckeyes to, to blow out Michigan. We both know what the rivalry entails, but um, much like the team, I think we got comfortable and not expecting a win, but uh, you kind of anticipate the ebbs and flows of the game. And then the Buckeyes to kind of turn it on and, and walk out of there with uh, a win. But um, yeah, this is definitely weird and new for us. Uh, Steve and I were both freshmen in college the last time that we had to experience that. So um, very new feeling for everybody all around. Um, when we broke this game down, I told you that the Buckeyes talent would prevail and on paper, it, it should have. Um, this is a team that's absolutely loaded with blue chip recruits and there aren't many players on Michigan's team that you would take if you're an Ohio State fan um, outside of the Aiden Hutchinson's, the David Ajabos, the Daxton Hills. Um, Ohio State pretty much has the edge at every position. But Michigan came into this game with their hair on fire, uh, a team that was clearly tired of losing and getting pounded the last couple of years in this game. And they came out with absolutely nothing to lose. Their coach told you in August that they were going to play and win this or die trying. And that's what they played like. Uh, they absolutely dominated the trenches. And that's where it starts and pretty much ends for me. Um, you know, uh, Josh Gaddis got on and, and talked about how Ohio State is a finesse team. They're not a tough team. And I can't really argue with it right now. Um, that was not an impressive showing from an offensive line and a defensive line that is full of dudes that we expect to see on Sundays in the NFL. Uh, they got the, they got their shit pushed in uh, to be blunt about it. And um, the, the one stat that always is kind of the precursor. If you didn't know the score and you're just looking at stats, I could always pick out the winner of this because it's always who runs for more yards per carry. Well, Michigan ran for 7.2 and Ohio state, ran for 2.1. So it was very clearly who dominated the lines of scrimmage, who uh, was better fit to play in this snow and in the cold. Um, and Ohio State's got a lot of self-reflection to do. And I'm anticipating quite a bit of uh, coaching turnover as well. But 
Uh, I'm going to lend it to Steve. It was it was not fun to watch. It, it was kind of embarrassing, uh, in fact. But I think this was what uh, was needed for this program because there are clearly some changes that have needed to be made for several years now. And I, I think that's finally going to come to light because of it. You know, I'll, I'll start out by saying I had I had a weird feeling, and this might sound weird, you know, but just kind of when they were showing the teams entering the field out of the tunnel, I just felt like Michigan had a look in their eye, like they were determined, um, like they were going to do it uh, on that Saturday. And then Ohio State came out of the tunnel, and they just looked more relaxed. They didn't seem quite as intense. And I, I honestly, right then and there, I got kind of a pit in my stomach because it just didn't look like we had that rivalry intensity, you know, that we've, you know, as Ohio state have had in the past. Um, and so, like you said, Cole, I mean, we, we just got smashed around on the lines on both sides. I mean, very um, impressive performance for Michigan's uh, both offensive and defensive lines. Uh, Ohio state could not run the ball all game um, with, with really any of the running backs and the Michigan, you know, just, just kind of smashed it down their throat pretty much the entire game. Um, there was a period there in the second quarter, where Ohio State did take a brief lead and looked like, you know, maybe they were going to start to take control of the game. Um, and then Michigan went right back down the field and scored again. And I think kind of a, a potential turning point as far as the momentum of this game was that last possession um, of the first half where Ohio State was faced with a fourth and short. Um, there's, I think, maybe 20, 30 seconds left on the clock. And instead of uh, continuing to try and drive the ball down the field, potentially get a touchdown, um, down 14-10, Ryan Day chose to settle for a field goal. Um, which I thought was an interesting choice. I know they were getting the ball to start the second half, um, but I think they really could have taken the air out of the stadium um, by going for it and getting a touchdown. And, you know, honestly, I don't think there's a big difference between 14-10 and 14-13. Um, and so I think it was worth the risk to try and go for it there, and they didn't. Um, and, you know, that was kind of disappointing. And that's something I think we've seen from Ryan Day a couple of times now is he likes to tout himself as being – an aggressive play caller. He wants his teams to be aggressive and sure. He's very good at doing that against teams like Indiana and Rutgers um, and Minnesota and teams that he knows he can out talent. But in some of these big games, you know, we had Michigan on Saturday you know, we had the Alabama game last year where we punted on our own side of the 50 um, in a game when it was still in, in deciding um, the Clemson game, we kicked a lot of field goals in the red zone back in 2019. So, you know, it's kind of wonder about Ryan Day's aggressiveness at times in this game. Um, the play calling seemed just kind of off. They, you know, there were certain situations where it felt like they should try and run the ball, like when they had second goal from the two. And there are other situations where, you know, I felt like it made more sense to pass and we come out of the locker room in the second half and ran it three straight times. Um, so it just feels like Ohio State never really got out of the gate um, in this one. And, you know, this wasn't, you know, Ohio State doesn't lose a lot of games, um, but this wasn't like the 2019 Clemson game where, you know, Ohio State, you know, played the better game and should have won. This was a game where Michigan took it to Ohio State. They were the better team on Saturday. They've, you know, kind of proved throughout the season now that Michigan's probably the better team this season for sure. Um, and so they took it to Ohio State. They earned the win. Uh, congrats to them. You know, I said on last week's show, for most of the season, I thought I was going to come on and pick Michigan to win this game. And I think I was kind of fooled maybe by the mirage of, you know, the performance against Michigan State, um, you know, where Michigan State had a pretty bad pass defense at Ohio State looked, you know, amazing and kind of bought into, you know, maybe Ohio State had fixed all their issues, um, but clearly they haven't. So uh, congrats to Michigan on the big win. A couple of notes I have here related to this game. Um, uncharacteristic for Ohio State is only 64 yards rushing. And, and Cole, you talked about this when you said that a key point for Michigan's victory here was 7.2 yards of rush versus Ohio State's 2.1 yards of rush. For a, a school that's been well-known 
throughout their history as being known to pound the rock down your throat. I mean, you think guys like Ezekiel Elliott, Beanie Wells, Carlos Hyde, guys like that. Uh, even Travion Henderson this year, that they did not do that in this game. So I give a lot of credit to the defensive line of Michigan, uh, guys like Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo for putting that kind of pressure on the offense. And it's not that they didn't run the ball. They ran it 30 times. They just didn't run it effectively. Passing-wise, they did kind of what Ohio State does. They threw for almost 400 yards. Overall, they were almost similar, both teams, in total and terms of total yardage it was like 30 yards different but Michigan really got it done on the ground um the big stat that everyone knows is Hassan Haskins five total touchdowns in this game and you know looking at the box score Michigan had um a lot of pressure on the offense throughout the game there were four sacks on the game three of them from Aiden Hutchinson one of them from David Ajabo and they had four QB hurries. And if you compare that to Ohio State's pass rush, they didn't have any sacks, and they only had two QB hurries the entire game. So really, when we were highlighting the the battle in the trenches, Michigan did a phenomenal job on both sides, both defensively and offensively, to give Cade McNamara and, and well, J.J. McCarthy for one pass, but gave them the time to run the offense pretty well. Um what stands out to me when, you know, watching this game was the way Michigan's offense was responding to Ohio State in the high points of the game. Uh, we talked about like there was a part of this game where you felt like Ohio State was going to kind of come back a little bit. But it, every time Ohio State scored a touchdown, Michigan countered with a touchdown. And otherwise, the only other points Ohio State put up was like six points and field goals, I believe. Um, I, Pretty amazing that Michigan could respond that way. I think the home environment gives something to do with that. Last thing I wanted to point out here was the game could have gotten away early, in my opinion, because Michigan was up 7-0. They got the ball back pretty quickly. I thought they were going to drive down and go up 14-0, but I, I think the one flaw I would put on Harbaugh and, and company was the decision to throw and take a shot at the end zone so early in the game when you were having that kind of success running, that's when McNamara threw his one pick. And I almost at that point thought, oh, crap, like that's Michigan's mistake that's now going to turn the tide towards Ohio State taking control of the game. And they responded from that very well by holding Ohio State to only a field goal. And, um, you know, offenses stagnated a bit, but before the points started to roll in. So overall, just I, I would just say hats off to Michigan. We're going to see what they're made of on Saturday when they take on Iowa in the Big Ten title game. And essentially, if they can win out, they're looking at a date in the college football playoff. Yeah, so. and I'd, I'd like to touch base on that because um, like David and I had talked about last week, that's what I think is different with this Michigan team is in the past in those other games. Um, and one that comes to mind is like that Nebraska game where in previous years, that's a Michigan team that loses that game. And it's kind of the same situation here you're talking about. Um, you know, Ohio State goes down and you get that amazing mossing by Garrett Wilson to go up 10-7. And most of the time in years past, that's a punch that Ohio State throws and Michigan responds with like a three and out. And then Ohio State starts absolutely 
you know, raining punches and that's where the game turns. But that was different this year. Michigan turned around and had that fire and had the punches to throw back and eventually had more than what Ohio state could counter with. And so that, that was, uh, what was, I think the biggest difference in years past and, and this one. Um, and it's, it's something that needs to be addressed with Ohio state because it, it feels like a team that didn't take Michigan lightly, but got comfortable and almost felt like they were owed it, even though there were 49 players on this team that have never played in this game. And so I think that needs to be addressed first and foremost, headed into next year. Um, I'm not too concerned about, you know, Ryan Day not taking this seriously because uh, any Ohio State fan knows that he's an absolute madman. And while that 2019 loss sucked to Clemson, uh, those close to the program pretty much told everybody that Ryan Day spent every waking moment uh, planning to beat Clemson. And so I think uh, that will be the case moving forward for him. Uh, And it's going to have to be because that is a game that if you allow it to happen again, could swing the tide of this rivalry back in the favor of, of the Wolverines moving forward. Um, and it's definitely something that you have to counteract if you want this to be a one and done type of deal. But uh, no, I'm with you, big bear. Like, like we all agreed, it was, it was a great performance by Michigan. They finally got over the hump and now they're faced with another one. Um, Iowa has nowhere near the talent that Ohio state does, but plays a gritty in a phone box phone booth uh, kind of football like Michigan does. So it's going to be another sledgehammer match for them in the big 10 championship game. Moving our way out West. We're going to go to the second rivalry game. We talked about last week, the civil war or the battle for the platypus, Oregon and Oregon state out knots. And this game had big implications because the winner essentially determined who was going to win the Pac-12 North and and go to Vegas on Friday night to play in the Pac-12 championship game. Um, Oregon needed this win. If they lost and the Beavers won, then uh, Washington State was going to go because Washington State had played the night before and and sealed their fate by beating Washington. You know, my my take on this game, um, a lot of people called this a blowout for Oregon and I thought they played a really good game. I thought Anthony Brown probably played one of his best games he's had all year. You know, 23 of 28, I believe it was 275 yards and two touchdowns. The best part I saw him was a couple of plays where he rolled out of the pocket and actually had the guts to throw the deep ball. Uh, one of them was like a 50-yard touchdown to Devin Williams kind of early on in the game. and So that was surprising. I think it was made well-known after the, um, how do I call it, the shit-rocking they took in Salt Lake City that you need to balance out this offense. I mean, they threw the ball a million times the week before with no success. They weren't able to run it well. That's got to change because you're going to Vegas now to play that same Utah team that out. uh, I mean, they were more physical, best way to say it. You know, Anthony Brown, two touchdowns passing, one rushing. Uh, Travis Dye filled it up with two touchdowns. But my one thing that I took away from this game that I wasn't happy with was I feel like Oregon's almost non-existent in the third quarter. They have, in a couple of games, gotten a decent lead at halftime, and then they come out for the second half, and they just kind of coast. I want to say about three games this year, they have put up almost no points, if exactly no points in the third quarter. They were up 31 
to nine at one point in the third quarter. They scored uh, one of their final touchdowns in the first three minutes of the second half, and then no points again until three minutes left in the game. So that that's my one takeaway is if you want to be an elite team and <clears throat> all of us here understand this because we're fans of teams that have, we talked about this before the show, we dropped the bag. You know, we had the spot in the playoffs set up for us and um, we, we couldn't win games when they mattered to, to seal our spot in the top four. But to be that elite level, you have to be consistent all four quarters. And, and that's my only take on Oregon is I don't think they're consistent enough on all four quarters to be a top four team. Um, probably just barely good enough to be a top 10 team. We'll see Friday night if they can right the ship and, and kind of get that revenge game against Utah. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about that one later. Cole, Steve, do you guys have anything you want to add from, from the Civil War? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. You know, I think you kind of touched on this, but the thing that stuck out to me um, and this one was Anthony Brown's play. Uh, he had a QBR of just over 90 in this game, which is fantastic. I mean, 275 yards throwing, two passing touchdowns, had another 80-plus yards running and a rushing touchdown. Uh, if you go back to that game where they got destroyed by Utah, his QBR in that game was just over 49. And their loss to Stanford, it was just over 27. Um, and so going forward for them, I mean, this – Oregon has a lot of talent, but really for them to reach, you know, kind of their, their peak or their pinnacle, they're going to need Anthony Brown to play his best game um, this upcoming week against Utah. Again, he's going to need a much better performance um, than what he had the first time. But if he's able to play like he did in the Civil War, I was really impressed um, with how composed he was in that game. He was efficient. He didn't make mistakes. Um, if that Anthony Brown shows up, I feel like that's a, that's a completely different Oregon team. Um, I think, you know, we kind of hit on this before throughout the season. It's just, you're not sure which Anthony Brown you're going to get on a week to week or even a, a quarter to quarter basis, um, at times. So that was kind of the biggest takeaway that I, I really had from the game. Yeah. I, I mean, when we talked about this last week, I said that these teams stack up pretty similar in, in terms of what they like to do and what they were probably going to attempt to do in this game. And I told you that it would be determined by line play and that area strongly favored the ducks. And I thought through the first half that clearly showed the ducks jumped out to a 24 lead at halftime. Um, the Beavers made it interesting in the fourth quarter, dropping 20 points after being down 31 to nine to make it a little closer than it probably should have. And that goes, you know, back to what you were saying, Tyler, about they struggle to uh, kind of put their foot on the pedal and finish off games in the third quarter. But uh, you know, the Ducks own the, the ground game. They outrushed Oregon State 231 to 85. They held BJ Baylor to 59 yards on 13 carries. So I, honestly, I, they did what they needed to. And they, for the most part, kept Oregon State in check. Uh, and like Steve said, that's probably the best game that I've seen Anthony Brown play outside of what we now know is an abysmal Ohio State defense. Um, and so it, it, it makes you feel good moving forward. Uh, I, you know, Tyler and I, you and I talked about it. We'll talk about it in future episodes, but I'm not sure why Oregon is throwing their hat in the ring for someone like Spencer Rattler. When you have someone like Ty Thompson, because I think he can offer just as much, uh, on the ground game and even more in the passing game moving forward. Uh, and you can, if you can get these kind of performances consistently, Oregon will be able to have an offense that matches up with what their defense does on a consistent basis. Uh, and they're going to need it, need it now moving forward because USC is going to become a legitimate threat to them. But 
Uh, Ducks move on, have a chance to, to is it three-peat now, Big Bear, for the Pac-12 title? And get some revenge against Utah. Yep, yep, three-peat potential. Last time they played Utah was 2019. Justin Herbert's junior, technically senior, but junior year. Uh, Utah is looking to get revenge from that game because Oregon really took them to town in, in that championship game. So, uh, you know, Kyle Whittingham, he'll have his guys ready. I know Mario Cristobal is going to have his guys ready. And uh, it's going to be a fun one to watch on Friday night. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, ironically, I watched that game uh, in a bar in Ann Arbor in 2019. So, uh, Big Bear, I do have to ask you, how do you feel about the fight uh, it, towards the end of the fourth quarter? Uh, Oregon State had scored to make it, again, closer than it actually was, and then this whole scuffle broke out. Yeah, you know, it, it comes with rivalry games. I mean, look at Ohio State Michigan. They were going at it a little bit in the locker room before halftime, and uh, again, that, that might just be more so the fact that there's only one way in and out of the big house, but I don't look too deeply into it. Tempers were flaring. You know, some people were saying on Twitter that perhaps the Oregon State guys were trying to find a way to get, you know, a duck player suspended or or like held out for a half of the Pac-12 title game. It's it's with the territory. It's what makes rivalry week so great. You know, um, play it like it is, I guess the way to say. That's why you play the game. Absolutely. You got to love the intensity that comes with rivalry week. Moving on to the Iron Bowl. We touched on this super quick because we thought it was going to be a cheek clapping and Alabama once again made a game way closer than it needs to be. Steve, I'm going to toss it to you, but this is clearly not the Crimson Tide team that we saw last year, and they were in some real danger of losing this game. Yeah, I would say real danger is a significant understatement. I mean, They were, you know, I think it was Tank Bigsby, the running back for Auburn, who, you know, on Auburn's last drive in regulation ran out of bounds. Um, When, if he would have stayed in bounds, you know, Alabama only had two timeouts for that possession. So they could have ran an additional, you know, 40, 50 seconds off the clock potentially. Um, And that extra 40 seconds allowed Alabama to go down and, and tie the game near the end of regulation. But yeah, for the first three and a half quarters of this game, I mean, Auburn's defense, um, was playing phenomenal, really just locking the tied offense down. You know, it's been, you know, a weird year for Alabama on offense. You know, some games they look very explosive, you know, all over the place making plays. And then other games, they like this one, the LSU game, they tended to struggle. Um, you know, Jamison Williams, you know, did have the ejection in the first half with a targeting call. And then I believe the the running back Robinson also got hurt in the game as well. So they're kind of, they were shorthanded, but you know, that was really no excuse when you're playing an Auburn team that's, you know, I know it's a rivalry game, but they're only six and five. They've struggled, you know, throughout the season. This is a team that Alabama should have beat by multiple touchdowns. Um, but, you know, I, looking back, I feel like if you're Auburn, you have to have, you know, quite a few regrets about not pulling this one out at home. You know, I already touched on, you know, the running back not going out of or going out of bounds um, unintentionally there in the fourth quarter. I know I saw, saw Jake and some other people saying, you know, they, they liked what he was doing because he was trying to get the extra two yards to get the first down and, and guarantee the win. Um, and I certainly respect that opinion, but I just think in that situation, you know, with the way Auburn's punter had been been kicking the ball and setting up field position, you know, an extra 40 seconds off the clock in that scenario when when he pinned him at the one again would have made it made a huge difference. Um, and then again, in the overtime, you know, Alabama got the ball first and scored and kicked the extra point, And then Auburn, gets the ball scores. And instead of choosing to go for two to win the game, they decided to go 
and just kick the extra point and go to the second overtime where you have to go for two anyway. Um, and they ended up having a pretty good, you know, kind of, I think it was like a throwback to the tight end type play that they drew up in the second overtime. And I'm just thinking, you know, you guys could have used that play in the first overtime and won the game outright right there. So kind of some head scratching decisions there. Um, and so I thought Auburn could have been riskier. You know, this is really their whole season. Like I said, they're six and five. This is their chance to make a mark. You need three yards to win the game. Um, and they chose to keep playing against a team that's far superior. Um, so, you know, kind of Alabama, you know, you're glad to escape. Um, this one, you know, survive, still alive in the playoff, have a chance to Georgia this weekend. Um, but Auburn, talk about some missed opportunities, you know, for a game that could have made your season. Yeah, I think that's my my biggest takeaway from this is, I mean, the Auburn defense played lights out. Obviously, an absolutely boneheaded decision by Jamison Williams to get himself kicked out of the game. But uh, Auburn defense did exactly what they needed to. And, um, you know, even with the tank Bigsby mistake of not going down and, and running the clock out in regulation, I'm with you. In overtime, you score that TD and I'm going for two because what's the worst that can happen? The result that ended up happening or you either win right then and there because no matter how well you're playing with the overtime changes, Alabama just simply has more options on offense to score from two yards out than you do. And it never really felt like you were going to put yourself in an opportunity to win that situation. So uh, big bear, do you have anything to add with this? Obviously, like we said, closer than it should have been. Auburn felt like it kind of threw away some of the chances it had. Um, but an exciting game and one that we didn't anticipate nonetheless. Oh, well, you know, I, I just want to say hats off to TJ Finley. I know, I know he didn't play a phenomenal game. He had a QBR just under 50, um, but to fill in the shoes of a hurt Bo Nix in the big rivalry game and to have your team in an opportunity to knock off number three, Alabama, a team that thinks that they can roll with Georgia any day of the week. Um, I, I think the reality is clear as day right now that I don't, I mean, Alabama and Georgia next or this weekend is going to be interesting, but I really hot take. I don't think Alabama has a chance. I'm sorry that I'm just going to say that. Um, those who did not watch this game and just look at the box score, you probably look at this and think something's wrong because Alabama's first points didn't even come till the fourth quarter. That's crazy to me. A, a team that is well known to handle most of the SEC any given year, just being held scoreless for almost the entire regulation. Uh, un uncharacteristic for a very high-powered offensive team. But um, I agree with what you said. I think Auburn should have laid it on the line in, in overtime and tried to go for two to put it away. You know, you had Alabama right where you wanted them most of the game anyway. Why not? take them out of their comfort zone and I mean, put the odds against them. I mean, sure. You might lose. You'd be six and six like you are now, but I would have thought that was a risk worth taking. So, uh, kind of a missed opportunity for Auburn, but it gives us reality check on Alabama. Absolutely. All right. Going to the last rivalry game that we touched on and, and one that I thought was probably the most exciting game of the entire night. Um, Oklahoma at Oklahoma state, the Cowboys punched their ticket to the big 12 championship to play Baylor. Um, and the fireworks started early with this one, guys, uh, the Sooners and the Cowboys traded scores and it led to a 24, 24 tie at halftime. 
Um, and then right up until the fourth quarter, it kind of felt like Oklahoma was asserting its dominance. And after a season of frustration and feeling like they didn't really show up in most of their games, we're going to at least pull out the biggest win of the year and attempt to continue their streak of big 12 championship games and potentially put themselves in another playoff. And Oklahoma state responded with some haymakers of their own and ended up pulling this one out at home. Um, Big Bear, what did you see from this one that that impressed you with the Cowboys and and what they did? I thought what impressed me with Oklahoma State was their ability to close out the game. Uh, we talked about this with Oregon. We talked about Alabama's offense and their struggles. But Oklahoma State, at one point in the second half, I was wondering if they were going to let Oklahoma crawl back into this game and kind of blow it in the fourth quarter. But they held Oklahoma scoreless in the fourth quarter. And that turned out to be the difference maker for a game that you won by four points. Spencer Sanders, 19 of 30, 214 yards, two interceptions. So he didn't have the greatest game, but, uh, you know, anytime you can knock off your rival at home and it's, it's helped the fact that Oklahoma has shown the big 12, it's just not ready for the sec. And now they're going to have to go through a coaching change, which we won't even get to today. You know, major props to Oklahoma state this season. They've had such a great year, but um, yeah, I think the resiliency is the main thing that I would take away from this game. Yeah. And I'll, I'll finish it out by saying that I was really impressed with Oklahoma state in terms of their ability just to find a way in this one. This is a game I feel like in previous years they would have lost, and I believe they have found ways to lose to Oklahoma in the past in games that they probably should have won. Um, so just I think it's a big win for the program. Uh, just like Big Bear saying, with Oklahoma leaving the conference, you know, for them to go out there and win, win this rivalry game, put themselves in a position to make, potentially make the playoff. I mean, I think I think grit is just the word I think of this Oklahoma State team um, because they, they play really tough defense. You know, there's nothing really special about what they do on offense. Uh, nothing sexy, really, um, but they they find ways to win. They play really tough, and in a big rivalry game at nights at home, um, they found a way. So, so credit to Coach Gundy and, and that team on on finding a way to win the biggest game of the season to this point. I mean, obviously, you know, quick turnaround, you know, with another big game coming up this week, back to back weeks, you know, they'll take on on Baylor, but you know, that's that's a big win for the program, and I'm looking forward to see what they have uh, for this week. You know. One last thing I'll chime in here is Oklahoma State, much like Michigan, controls their dynasty or controls their destiny with the college football playoff. Um, I just had an update on my phone that said that the college football playoff chair has made it very apparent that with Notre Dame's coaching change, that might affect their final college football playoff ranking. So if I'm Oklahoma State, you want to win, you want to win big and give the country a good look at who you think should be number four. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that I don't think any of us anticipated with those two teams, you know, being right there in the thick of it at the end. Um, and just overall, you know, we'll touch on the the championship games here in the next uh, segment. But uh, outside of Alabama, you're going to have new champions across uh, or potentially have new champions across every uh, Power Five conference. And that's, that's pretty cool to see. Uh, I know, you know, Tyler, obviously we talked about you would like to see your three-peat and Steve and I would have liked to see uh, five in a row, but um, it, it kind of fits in with what we've been talking about, parity across college football. And 
COVID really seems to have been a, a reset button for everything, um, but especially for um, this season and and the national powers, uh, you know, not pulling away as we've seen in years past. We're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, we're going to preview some of these upcoming conference championship games. So stay with us. We here at First and Goal want to take this time to thank you for listening and provide a quick word to potential sponsors. We're looking to get your brand on our show. The First and Goal podcast, as well as the Walk on Red Shirts, is continuously growing and can help spread your brand to college football fans across the country. If you have any interest in joining us or are just curious about what we can offer, please reach out to us at Walk on Red Shirts or at Goal underscore First. Welcome back, folks. I hope you found your seats and you're comfy because we're getting in to championship football. We're starting off with a rematch in the Pac-12 title game. Oregon is trying to seek some revenge against Utah. Big Bear, I'm going to toss it to you for this entire segment. This is your team. Can the Ducks do it? God, I hope so. Um, but we will find out on Friday night. You know, Chris Ball can talk the talk all he wants, but they really do need to show up on Friday. Um, if they want to win this game, it has to be executed to perfection. We found out two weeks ago, Utah is so strong, so physical. They had their number. I mean, 37 or 38-7 tells you everything you need to know. You know, the Oregon team couldn't do anything two weeks ago. So it needs to be night and day difference if they want to win. This is their third year in a row being in the Pac-12 title game. I know they would love to three-peat, but those records only look good on paper. It's about what you put on the field. Those who want to watch this game, it will be on ABC Friday night, December 3rd, 8 p.m. in Las Vegas. Sorry, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Las Vegas in Allegiant Stadium, the home of the Raiders. Um, The current line on this game is Utah by less than three. Those of you who know... Um, when we pick these games, it pretty much means they don't know who the hell they're going to pick in this game. So, you know, I'm going to be the homer here. I'm going to pick the Ducks here. Um, I've been wrong before. It can happen, but I'm going with Oregon. I'll pass it to Steve. Steve, who do you think takes this rematch game in Vegas on Friday night? So going back to, you know, our, our preseason show, I was I was high on the Utes throughout the season. Um, I picked them to win the Pac-12 South. Um, they've sort of been my my team I've been following in the Pac-12 throughout the year, you know, they had a couple uh, non-conference losses that set them back a little bit, but here they find themselves in the conference championship. They had the big win a couple weeks ago that we alluded to. Um, But, you know, I I think it's too hard to beat a team twice in one season uh, in the same conference. You know, Oregon was smacked around in that first game. That was a raucous environment in Utah. Um, And I I, I do think Oregon is the more talented team. And I think they're going to come back, um, seeking revenge. Like you said, it's a neutral field. It's not going to be that home field advantage that Utah had. And I feel like that, that first game just kind of got away from Oregon. Um, I don't think Utah was necessarily that much better. It just kind of one of those avalanche games. Um, and so I think Oregon comes back with vengeance this weekend. I think you're going to see the Anthony Brown that you saw against Oregon state. Um, and I'm going to take the ducks in this one in, in the revenge game. And I think Oregon will find themselves in the Rose bowl. Yeah. I love that. You've been so high on Utah the whole year. Um, if Oregon were, would have been a top four team, I would have said Mario Cristobal's Pac-12 coach of the year. 
But seeing what happened after Charlie Brewer started the year as quarterback for Utah, and then they switched to Cam Rising, and you see what they've done since, it seems like Kyle Whittingham should definitely be Pac-12 Coach of the Year. Um, Cole, what about you? What do you see in Friday for the Pac-12 title game? Honestly, I'm right in line with, with you guys. Um, Utah obviously won that game big, but it, I don't feel like it. I, I don't want to say dominated. I mean, obviously, that's a dominating score in, in the way that they did it. But like Steve said, it just kind of got away from them, uh, much in the way that we saw with like Ohio State against Michigan State. I, I don't think Michigan State is that bad of a team. Um it's just hard when your whole philosophy is taken away from you in the first couple of drives and you get down big and you have to change what your identity is. And so Oregon kind of had to abandon the run game and make Anthony Brown throw more than what he's comfortable doing. I think if they're allowed to set their tempo, utilize those guys in the trenches that they have uh, and make this more of their style of game, uh, I think it's going to be a much closer game. And, and I do believe that Oregon has the talent to pull this one out. Um, the neutral field always helps. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm going with the Ducks as well. Give me 30 to 27 Ducks. Next, we're going to preview the SEC title game, which is the matchup I think the whole country is going to be having their eyes on. You have number one Georgia versus number three Alabama. We've been saying Alabama thinks they can beat Georgia. This is the true test to find out if that that's the case or not. This game will be on Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern. This is in Atlanta's Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Boy, uh, tune in to CBS if you want to see some head-to-head SmackDown football because this is going to be a tight one to watch. I'm going to start off passing it to you, Cole. Who do you think pulls this one out on Saturday? This really feels like it might be a, a turning moment for the SEC. Now, I'm not telling you that Nick Saban's going to fall off a cliff and that Alabama's never going to be back, but this is an opportunity for Georgia to really cement themselves as a consistent challenger to the Crimson Tide in the SEC. And I think that's what they do. Um, I've seen Alabama struggle way too many times throughout this season. Uh, even with their explosiveness through Jamison Williams and the passing game at times, this is just not the kind of defense that I think they're going to find success against on the ground. Um, and Georgia's going to utilize that and attempt to run on what I think is a weaker than normal uh, Bama run defense. So, you know, I, I don't think that the Crimson Tide necessarily get blown out in this fashion. The, the spread is six and a half points. Uh, I think that's pretty fair. I just think Georgia's slowly going to wear Alabama down and pull away late in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, Jamison Williams is, it was going to have to come up big, but I just don't think that he's going to provide enough by himself for uh, the Crimson Tide to necessarily get over the hump this year. Um, so g- give me Georgia... 34 27 uh, to to solidify themselves as number one in the college football playoff um, and really give them their best shot at a national championship in over 40 plus years. Steve, what do you see with this one? Well, this this is one I think that, you know, every college football fan has to be looking forward to. I mean, these are just two powerhouse teams, teams that are loaded with, you know, four and five, you know, star blue chip prospects. 
um, matching up in this SEC championship game. When you look at Georgia, I mean, the story with them all season has been their defense. I mean, they right now they have a historically great defense. It's tough, you know, even thinking about when when's the last time we've had a defense that this was that was this good. I mean, I think they're giving up less than seven points a game right now, um, which is just absurd. I mean, maybe you go back to some of those Miami defenses of the early two thousands. Um, but, you know, they're just playing lights out on the ball. You know, maybe one concern I have with them is, you know, they have just been steamrolling teams pretty much uh, since that Clemson game in week one, which was, was a, a one touchdown win. Uh, but since then, they've pretty much just mauled everybody on their schedule. So I'm interested to see if they do kind of get into a dogfight with Alabama. You know, are they ready for, you know, that close game atmosphere? You know, Alabama has been tested quite a few times and granted by teams less talented than them. Um, but they have been in those dogfights and Georgia has kind of been, I don't want to say coasting, but they've just been overwhelming all of their opponents. I don't think they have played a team nearly as talented as Alabama. Um, and I think this could be an interesting matchup because I, you know, you hit on it a little bit, but I think Jamison Williams is kind of the X factor in this game. They have not seen a player like him. Um, and I'm actually, I actually think he has a chance, you know, maybe to position himself if Alabama is able to win this game, potentially in an outside shot of finishing, you know, kind of higher up in the Heisman voting. Um, and people are currently projecting. I think he's kind of my was my kind of my uh, sleeper Heisman pick throughout the season because he's just been such a difference maker on the Alabama offense. You know, you talk about guys that single-handedly impact their team's success. When you take Jamison Williams off the field for Alabama, you saw last week in the second half of that Auburn game that they are completely neutralized. He, I mean, if you think about what this team would be without him this season, you know, they honestly probably have two or three more losses. He just adds a totally different dynamic. Um, and so for Alabama to win this game, I think he's going to have to go out and have a big game. One of those games where he has, you know, 150, 160 yards, two, three touchdowns. Um, you know, I'm not so sure that's actually going to happen. Um, so I'm going to take Georgia on this one. I think it'll be uh, by a score of about 28 to 23. I'll take the Bulldogs. Um, I think it will be an exciting game, a hard hitting game. Um, but I just, I don't think this is Alabama's year. They've just looked too susceptible the entire season and Georgia has been so dominant. So I, I can't pick against the Bulldogs this week. I know we said we weren't going to talk much about coaching carousel this week, but I just wanted to add this one little fun fact. Whether or not Alabama wins or loses to Georgia, we're pretty certain that Nick Saban's going to, going to get himself a nice little contract boost because it's set in his contract that he has to get paid based on the average of the top five highest paid coaches in college football. And those of you who have seen the coaching carousel this week, the going rate for coaches is right around $9.5 million, even more. Some of them are even surpassing what Nick Saban currently makes at Alabama. So if they're averaging that out and it comes out higher, he could get himself a nice little boost with a loss. I am agreeing with you, Steve. I, I just don't think this is Alabama's year. <clears throat> Look at Auburn last week. It just the inconsistency, and we talked about that. You have to be a consistent team for all four quarters if you want to be a top four playoff caliber team, which Alabama normally is. It, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Alabama isn't that kind of team. It just, just seems like that this team this year doesn't have that little extra spark that they normally have. Um, but you made a good point. You're saying Jamison Williams being an X factor for Alabama in order to win this game. I would say there's another wide receiver they should keep an eye on, and that's John Mechie because John Mechie was essential last week in, in the Auburn game. And, and a lot of people forget about him because of how good of a year Jamison Williams is having. John Mechie is one hell of a wide receiver. So if Georgia is too busy covering Jamison Williams, I wouldn't be surprised if Bryce Young makes a couple of nice dime passes to John Mechie. And um, between the two of them, it could keep Alabama in the game. The line on this game is 50. 
Um, it's it's Georgia by less than six and a half. I think Georgia wins this by at least a touchdown. Um, I'm going to say 41 to 31, and that's a little high, but 41 to 31 Georgia uh, in this high-scoring affair. It would definitely uh, be an interesting one to, to see that many points scored uh, in an SEC championship game, especially with uh, the defense that the Bulldogs uh, bring out week in and week out. But all right, headed to Indianapolis. Um, a, a matchup that I don't think Steve or I uh, picked. Um, obviously, Michigan punched their ticket with the win over Ohio State. Uh, but Iowa kind of snuck in the back door. It looked like they were going to fall apart there at the end. And uh, Minnesota ended up being Wisco- beating Wisconsin for uh, Paul Bunyan's axe. And the Hawkeyes were able to sneak past them at the last possible moment. So that is your matchup for the Big Ten Championship. Um, Steve, I'm going to toss it to you, but this really feels like a, a game that uh, will be reflective of that 15 championship game between Michigan State and Iowa. Just kind of a low-scoring affair, grinded-out kind of deal. Yeah, Iowa's another team that I was I was higher on than most people in the preseason. And, you know, they started off the season very strong. They had the the big win over Penn State, which was a you know three versus four matchup at the time, which is funny looking back at that now. Um, but you know they had the two big losses to Purdue and Wisconsin in the middle of the season. I think people kind of forgot about them, um, and they haven't been overly impressive the last four weeks of the season. You know, squeaking out wins against Northwestern, Minnesota, Illinois, and Nebraska. But credit to them, you know, you know solid ten and two season. Um, you know, seven and two in the Big Ten. Um, but unfortunately for them, I, I think their run ends here. Michigan right now just looks like they are on a mission. They looked very determined against Ohio State, very focused. Um, and, you know, this is the first time Michigan's been to a Big Ten championship game. Um, and so this is a new experience for them. I think they're going to be fired up. They're not going to be overlooking this game and thinking about, you know, the college football playoff. You know, they want to win their first Big Ten championship in, you know, how many years. Um, and so I think. Michigan's defense last week, they were able to stop Ohio State's running game without even really overloading the box. Um, you know, they, they were keeping two safeties back a good amount of the time um, because of Ohio State's pass offense. Well, Iowa really doesn't have uh, any threat in the passing game at all. I mean, both their quarterbacks have struggled mightily this season. Um, even their, their running game isn't even really that good. So I expect Michigan to kind of load up the box, force Iowa to beat them with the pass. I, I just don't really see a way where Iowa is going to be able to consistently, you know, move the ball on Michigan. Um, and on the other side of things, you know, I've been really impressed with Michigan's offense this year. You know, I looked at some of their games this year, you know, they scored, you know, 47, 31, 63, 38, you know, scoring all these games, scoring all these points in games without really throwing the ball. And I was like, how are they doing this? Um, and then they, they showed me on Saturday against Ohio State, that power run game, it can put up points and can put up points fast when you are just grinding it down your opponent's throat, you know, for seven, eight yards a pop. Um, and Iowa has a strong defense, but I just feel like Iowa's offense isn't going to be able to stay on the field. And so I think Michigan's offense will get out there quickly and just kind of grind Iowa's defense down. I, I don't think it's going to be necessarily a pretty game, um, but I do think Michigan will probably win this one relatively handily. Um, so I'll, I'll take the Wolverines in this one and I'll go, I, I think it'll be a pretty big score. Actually, I'll go 28, 10 Michigan in this one. Yeah. Um, I like how you mentioned like Iowa's defense is pretty good. They're actually a little bit better than Michigan's defense. Michigan's 
defense allows 319 yards to opponents. Iowa allows 315. But you hit it right on um, the head when you're talking about Iowa's offense needing to stay on the field. They they barely put up 300 yards of offense a game, and that's that's really the Achilles' heel. Is um, Petrus nine touchdowns, six interceptions on the year versus Cade McNamara 14 touchdowns, three interceptions, and and Michigan's not a team you really expect to throw the ball a lot. That that doesn't really compare very well. Uh, and then Tyler Goodson at running back 1,100 yards, which compares pretty well to Haskins at 1,200, but he scored a third of the touchdowns. So it's it's not so much that the Iowa offense can't get yardage; it's it's that they they're not getting the yardage and getting in the end zone. Uh, you know, there's you got to dive a little deeper here to see what the true issue is there. But I just don't think they're going to be able to keep up with a team like Michigan. Um, you saw it last week. You can just see that fire in their eyes. They are out to prove something this year. Aiden Hutchinson alone, I, I think he's a great leader on that defense. And, um, you know, you win and you're in. That's that's the key here. Michigan is probably the highest they've been ranked in at least a decade, um, especially this late in the year. So the current line on this is Michigan by less than 10 and a half. I think a two-touchdown victory sounds about reasonable. I would think that it would be, um, I think 28 to 14 sounds like it makes the most sense to me. And and Steve, you're almost in a better spot, 28-10. So I think 28's the magic number for Michigan. Whether or not Iowa can get two touchdowns or not, well, we'll we'll find out on Saturday. Yeah, um, you know, they're, they're... They're built the same. They approach the game the same way, but uh, this is very different in terms of the the talent level and how they've accomplished this year. Um, I think Michigan is going to find it a little tougher to power run on Iowa uh, because Iowa has always had a defense that is um, tough and plays smart football. Um, you know, they earlier in the year, they were generating a lot of turnovers, especially off of interceptions. I don't think that Michigan is really going to try and air the ball out, but I do think Cade McNamara is going to be the difference in this game. I don't think they're going to find uh, a huge amount of success, uh, like obviously like they did last week. So I think it is going to be on him to make the plays, um, that kind of separate them and push them away. I agree with Steve that I don't think Iowa is going to find a lot of points, but I think they are going to run a lot of uh, trick and gadget plays to, to try and open it up more and get as many points as they possibly can. Um, overall, I think Michigan is going to make just a handful more plays on offense and defense. Um, 10 and a half feels about right. Maybe a little high, but uh it kind of feels like it's going to play out like that Michigan Nebraska game where it's just going to be a sledgehammer match in, in the first half. And then you're going to see some weird shit happen in the second half and go back and forth. But ultimately I agree with you guys. I think uh, Michigan pulls this one out. Um, Give me 31 to 23 uh, Michigan winning uh, their first conference championship outright since 2003. 
I think the one thing I wanted to touch on here before we go were a couple of the other championship games. Um, some that m- some people might not be paying a lot of attention to, but but are very relevant, especially with college football playoff implications. First, let's look at number twenty-one Houston and number four Cincinnati. All right, um, you know this is actually a home game for Cincinnati in Nippert Stadium in Cincinnati on Saturday. On ABC at 4 p.m. Eastern, Cincinnati's got an 82% chance to win this game. But, you know, if anyone's going to play spoiler to Cincinnati, it just might be Houston. And I'm just curious if you guys think that there's any chance that Cincinnati could possibly get upset here and and lose their chance at this college football playoff bid. Uh, Cole, I'll start with you, then over to Steve. Do you think there's any chance Cincinnati gets beat here on Saturday? I don't know if I, I give them a chance to lose. I think Cincinnati uh, is by far the much more talented and better coach team. The thing that I would probably stress for Cincinnati is you have to leave absolutely no doubt because the committee is looking to leave you out of the playoffs and they would absolutely love to uh, throw even a two loss Alabama in there. Uh, so if you're Cincinnati, you have to come out and play one of your better games all year and really leave no doubt. Um, I would say this one probably has to be won by two or more scores uh, to really solidify your, your spot there. Um, anything less. And I think you might see yourself get chipped out of that final playoff spot. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I, I just think having a close, maybe field goal victory game is not what's going to help Cincinnati to show their number four, even if Alabama loses to Georgia, We've seen it before, you know, if, if Georgia loses, you, you know, they're both in, they're not going to move Georgia lower than four. And you just, you got to ball out. You got to show people that you belong. And, and I think a multiple score victory is the best way to do it. Steve, what about you? You think Cincinnati's got any chance of getting knocked off here on Saturday? Yeah, I, I think there's certainly a chance and it's nothing to really do with Cincinnati, but I mean, Houston's a very good team. I mean, they're 11 and one, they lost their opening a uh, game of the, of the year to Texas tech, I believe. And since then, you know, they haven't lost. Um, they haven't, you know, played a, a, a grueling schedule, but they're still a, a very solid team that is used to winning. Um, in Cincinnati, you know, they had some hiccups this year where they were maybe not as impressive at times um, as people would have liked them to be, given kind of the unique scenario they're in as a group of five team with a chance to make the playoff. Um, but if you look at what they've done in some of their more important games, um, they've actually they've been very impressive. You know, their two games against power five teams, Indiana and Notre Dame, won both of those games by double digits. Um, their game against UCF, who's, you know, one of the top teams in the American Athletic Conference, you know, they beat them by 35. Um, and then a couple of weeks ago, SMU was supposed to give them a challenge, beat them by 34. And then last week, you know, the last week of the regular season, you know, they knew they had to have a big win, went out and beat Eastern Carolina by 22. Cincinnati seems like they're kind of locked in now. They've they kind of figured things out. They're not sleepwalking through, you know, their, their cupcakes on their schedule. So I think they're going to come out ready. I think it is it is a big deal that they get to play the game at home. You know, their their home fans have been very good the last couple of years as the program has picked up. So I think that's going to be a pretty raucous environment um, on Saturday. Unfortunately, it looks like it's the same time as the SEC game. Um, so I'm not sure if, you know, as many people will be watching, um, you know, as, as they would like to be. Um, but I think, you know, Cincinnati, they might have a good showing here. You know, I think they got a route for, for Georgia to knock off Alabama um, because if Alabama does win, you know, then you're looking at a scenario potentially where it's going to come down to Cincinnati versus uh, potentially a one-loss conference champion in Oklahoma State. 
Um, but I, I do like the Bearcats this weekend. I think they'll get the job done. Um, but there's always a chance of loss, like I said, because Houston is is a solid team and should not be overlooked on the schedule. Yeah, I, I like to think back to that Cincinnati-Indiana game where Cincinnati came out flat. You can't come out flat against a team like Houston, who, as we said, has won their last 11 games of the season, and they have a pretty decent defense. So home field advantage is going to be key for Cincinnati this weekend. I do think they get it done. I, I think it's closer than people want it to be. Um, I don't know if they necessarily win by 14, like a two-score victory. It might be more like a, a 7-10 to 10 margin, but uh, I hope it's enough. I think, you know, Cincinnati, if you go back-to-back undefeated seasons, get in the playoff, and um, we'll see what happens. But I take Cincinnati, too. I agree. Now, here's an interesting one. The MAC championship game in Detroit is hosting Northern Illinois and both of your alma mater, Kent State. That's going to be on Saturday at noon. That's interesting enough it's no longer on fridays it's on saturdays at noon uh kent is predicted by less than three so um i guess give me your homer and or non-homer opinion who takes home the mac title game on saturday i can go ahead and uh, start it off with this one you know kent state they've been they've been a fun team you know last couple years you know i think they've kind of sean lewis came in and kind of changed the culture of the program um, and they've kind of gone to this this offense where they're they're snapping the ball really quickly. They're running this fast up tempo offense, um, which is really fun to watch. They put up a lot of points, and which is kind of cool to see at you know Kent State, which is not historically a good football program. Honestly, probably one of the worst um, in college football history. If you just look over time, I think we've only been to you know two or three bowl games. Um, so this is a big opportunity for them. Um, their weakness, though, Kent State this year is their their defense is is horrid. Um, you know, I'm looking at the numbers right now. In terms of yards per game, they rank 124th in the country. I'm giving up you know around 475 yards a game. Um, but like I did touch on, they do score a lot of points. I think they're eighth in the country in total offense right now. Uh, Dustin Crum, the quarterback, is very solid. He's been the starter for a couple of years now. Um, they played Northern Illinois earlier in the season at home. Uh, did knock them off in that one, 52-47. Um, I think most people will look at this in, you know, Northern Illinois is a team that is much more used to being in the situation they play in the MAC championship, you know, pretty frequently, it seems like. Um, but I'll be a homer in this one. I'll take the golden flashes. I think it's going to be another shootout. This is going to be, you know, in Detroit, in that dome, on the turf, um, two pretty solid offenses, some questionable defenses. So I think we get another fun, high scoring game. Um, but I do think the flashes will find a way somehow, some way to, to get this uh, MAC championship game win. Um, and I think it'll be high scoring. Like I said, I'll go 49 to 45 in this one, Kent State. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say, if you like points, go ahead and pay attention to this game because there are going to be a ton of them. Um, Steve and I text frequently during Kent State games. We love that the offense moves flash fast, as they like to call it. Uh, they They put up a ton of points, but then the other team gets the ball and it's, infuriating because if they were even a mediocre defense, they would be blowing people out and would more than likely be undefeated in the Mac right now, because there's no game that I've seen where you could tell me that the other team was just simply better than them. Um, last time they played Northern Illinois, it, it was, it was a barn burner. I mean, it was, it was 52 to 47, and that really came down to just Northern Illinois making mistakes and Ken State capitalized on it. And so I think that's what needs to happen again. Um, 
you know, this is a Kent State offense that ranks eighth in the country uh, with 490 yards a game, uh, and the points come along right with it. So um, they're going to have to utilize their uh, ability to create turnovers. They're second in the country in turnover margin at plus 15, and I think that is going to have to be the the difference in this one. They're going to have to fight a way to make Rocky Lombardi make mistakes again and then capitalize off of that. So uh, while I could see Northern Illinois easily winning this one, and God, that would suck after watching them win in double overtime uh, in 2012 as a student, uh, I'm also going to be a homer. I'm going to pick the Golden Flashes to win another high-scoring affair. Uh, give me 55-52 Golden Flashes. Yeah, that's not a bad score. And when they faced off last time earlier this season, they put up 99 total points. Um, don't expect defense in this one, people. Expect points, and we will just emphasize that. Both these teams put up just as many yards as they give up, and it's a lot. I mean, Kent almost puts up 500 yards of offense, but they give up almost 500 yards of offense. <laughs> um, Dustin Crum, Rocky Lombardi, Jay Ducker, Marquez Cooper, it's going to be a light show in Detroit on Saturday. Uh, maybe the game change, the game time change, maybe it has some effect, maybe it doesn't. I think this game could even go to overtime. You know, we talk about you have some crazy games, some overtime games. Maybe this is one or two overtimes in a, in a title game. Ah, who do I pick? You know, for the sake of the show, I'm going to go with Northern Illinois. I think this is their revenge game for, for Kent. I know I would love to pick with you guys. I kind of was feeling Kent, but I feel like I should be a little different. Um, I think it's going to be a field goal game, and I think it's going to be an overtime kind of game. So I'm going to go 52-49 Northern Illinois. All right, Steve, I think you just got moved to new co-host on this show. <laughs> big, big bears hurting me here. Uh, I mean, no, I, I'm not. I could see it going either way. Uh, I, you did mention the points, you know, the over unders at 74 and a half. If you're a better hammer, that shit hammer, yeah, hammer it because it. it's going to be more than likely over 100 points between the two teams. Um and I really would like to let people know all, all three of us have been to a Mac championship game for our respective schools. And it's a lot of fun. Honestly, I know the Mac kind of gets a bad rap because it's in the, the middle of, you know, nowhere for most of the time. And, you know, they play all these Tuesday and Wednesday night games, but this game almost always ends up being super exciting and right down to the wire for almost every championship game. So if you have nothing to do on noon, it's Saturday. I, I highly recommend tuning into it. All right, Showtime, I'm going to pass it your way here to close out the show, but do you, do you have any garbage time games for us to watch this weekend? Yeah, so just a quick recap on last week's garbage time. Um, if you remember, we had what, what David had coined as the eligible uh, game between <laughs> Florida and Florida State, um, and this one lived up to its billing as garbage time. We had a, a pregame scuffle on the field, um, showed that Florida was still interested in actually playing football this year. Um, this was not a great game. Each team had three turnovers. Um, they combined for almost 200 yards in penalties. Um, so, you know, Florida ends up winning this one 24-21, surprisingly. You know, I think a lot of us picked Florida State last week. We thought maybe they would be the more uh, motivated team. And, you know, I think they they played okay in this game. Uh, the quarterback, Jordan Travis, you know, he had a decent game running and throwing. But, you know, Florida State just isn't there right now as a program. And I think or Florida State's not there as a program. I think Florida's talent just kind of 
one out um, in this one. Um, it was on at the same time as the Ohio State-Michigan game, so I don't I don't think you missed anything if you chose not to watch the eligible um, and chose to watch you know, you know the game instead. Um, but yeah, this this kind of played out how we thought, and so now I guess Florida is now eligible for a bowl game. So we'll see kind of where they land and you know by how many points they lose this year in their bowl game. Um, see if they can top last year's Cotton Bowl. Um, but you know for this week, you know this is conference championship week, um, and so you know there really is no garbage time. These teams are all all winners out here, so I'm not gonna pick on any of the games this week. But I did want to give use this time to give special kudos uh, to the Big Twelve Conference and the teams in that conference. You know. Before the season, Oklahoma and Texas, you know, announced that they were going to leave for the SEC. And most people thought and kind of thought the Big 12 was left for dead. You know, they were going to be down to eight teams, you know, because they weirdly only had 10 teams in the first place, even though they're the Big 12. Um, there were talks of them, you know, kind of being kicked out of the Power Five. Was the conference going to entirely disband? What was going to be left of, of whatever these remaining eight teams were? You know, there's talks of, you know, the Pac-12 and the Big 10 picking them apart. There was talks of them just being the next American athletic conference. Um, and you know what, these teams went out there this season and they took it to Oklahoma and Texas. And now we have a big 12 championship game on Saturday. That's going to feature Oklahoma state and Baylor, two teams that are going to remain in the big 12 while Texas is going to sit at home, be five and seven, not playing any bowl games, Oklahoma, who's supposed to have, you know, their best chance to win a national championship and how many years sitting at home at 10 and two lose their coach, lose a lot of their players, lose a lot of their recruits. Um, and so it's just kind of funny, you know, looking as an outsider, as a Big Ten fan, seeing kind of what's going on there. I mean, it's props to, you know, those Big 12 teams for, you know, going out there and sticking it to Texas and Oklahoma this year. You know, both Baylor and Oklahoma State both beat Texas and Oklahoma on the field this season. Um, so props to the Big 12 and what they have going forward. Um, and in addition to that, you know, the Big 12 announced that they're going to add four new teams here. Um, in the next couple of years. And two of those are Cincinnati and Houston, who, like we mentioned, are playing for the American Athletic Championship this weekend. Um, so there is a possibility where we're looking at, you know, the Big 12 technically getting two teams into the college football playoff um, if Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and Cincinnati can both get in, um, which is just kind of funny to think about where we started the season with the Big 12 um, and then potentially ending the season as, you know, technically but not technically having two teams in the college football playoff which would just be kind of wild to think about kind of how this whole thing has come full circle. So kudos to Oklahoma state Baylor and the rest of the big 12 for, you know, suiting up and competing and, and sticking it to Texas and Oklahoma this year. Oh, 100%. You know, from, from being too good for the big 12 and moving to the sec to uh, losing to Kansas and showing teams like Baylor and Oklahoma state kind of telling you who the true leaders of the big 12 are going to be, you know, if, if they keep trying to prove they're better, than the rest of the conference uh curtain guy you got anything else to add here before we close out the show no once again steve steve nails it uh right on the head so uh, i want to thank him again for coming out for for another full episode i was telling him before the the fans absolutely love him this entire weekend uh i kept getting berated by people asking me if we were going to have him on the show more so uh this is for them i'm giving giving the people what they want Man of the people. Got to gotta do it for them. Love you guys. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you for being with us again this week. I hope you enjoy watching Conference Championship Week. If you're on social media, please post your photos to Instagram and Twitter. Tag us in them. We want to know where you are Friday and Saturday this week. If you're at the big game in Vegas, Indianapolis, uh, Nippert Stadium in Cincinnati, tag us in them because we want to see where you guys are at and and, and keep up with us because we're going to be talking throughout the weekend as well. 
Um, if you don't follow us already, we're on Twitter and Instagram at goal underscore first. You can talk with us right there. Here are hot takes and not so hot takes. Um, you know, some things we're sorry for <laughs> myself. Anyway, before we get too lengthy, thanks, you guys. We'll be back next week. This is First and Goal.